Welcome to the M&A Cornercast, a podcast focused on the world of mergers and acquisitions. Helping inform the business owners and advisors we work with every day. I'm your host, Chuck Dallas. I have more than 10 years of experience with mergers and acquisitions, both from a corporate perspective and as an outside advisor. With us today is Bob Wegbright, partner with GF Data. Welcome, Bob. Thanks, Chuck. Glad to be here. Thank you very much. I'm glad you're with us today. And tell us a little bit about GF Data and what your role is there and maybe a little bit about your background as well. We started GF Data in 2006. Some of you may know either of my partners, Andy Greenberg, who is a sell-side banker outside of Philadelphia, and Graham Frazier, who has a buy-side advisory shop called Private Capital Research, both based in suburban Philadelphia. The issue back in 2006 is the same issue that we have in 2020. Lower middle market deals, transactions, business size, enterprise value, pretty much between 10 and $250 million, though. You'll see our data is a little more concentrated on 10 to 50, 10 to 100, the lower end of the middle market. Most of those deals are private seller to private buyer, and most of those transactions have some form of confidentiality NDA that doesn't allow, nor does anybody want anyone to know what they got for their business or what someone paid for their business. Not your business. It's a, <laughs> But at the same time, for an efficient market, we need to know valuation, leverage, deal terms, at least on a very tight benchmark basis is what we've been able to provide. So what we did back then is we structured a secure utility that allows private equity groups to give us detailed, meaningful information, valuation, leverage, deal terms, and at the same time, maintain all that anonymity that they both want and have signed off on. We've grown that from 20 private equity groups that we knew back then to we now have well over 300 financial sponsors are regularly acquiring mature, profitable businesses in this space, provided us information. Currently, 228 of them are actively acquiring businesses. We publish quarterly benchmark reports that I'll be sharing some information with. And we have a database, a valuation database broken out by NAICS industry code. As far as my background, I ran a middle market business for several years. It was a family-owned business, not my family, but anybody that was involved in the business pretty much thought it was mine, and that's how you run a business. <laughs> it was in the printing point-of-sale advertising business, which uh, in 2006, seven couldn't have been in a worse place. Our main customers were retail. We oh. had a very strong unionized shop, a lot of CapEx in the printing industry, and, and a changing CapEx structure where printing was going going from very hands-on to digital. I met Andy and Graham through a mutual contact, and they asked me to help them commercialize GF data. And of course, we couldn't have picked a worse time with the 2007, 8, 9 recession, but we were able to build a strong cadre of private equity contributors that said this is a great way to get information by giving information. Since then, we've grown it so that we're very profitable, we're independent. In addition to that part of my background over the years, I've been very involved in regional politics and more importantly, economic development in Montgomery County, Pennsylvania, outside of Philadelphia. I'm on the vice chair of our redevelopment authority board. So all these aspects make me a pretty 
sharp to what's going on in the middle market, as well as having lived it, running a business, and now overseeing uh, some of the requests we get uh, for funding and such. It's a good fit, and it's been a lot of fun. We speak all over the country. We have a strong subscription base that is nice because it spreads out revenues as opposed to straight-up investment banking that's often based on once or twice a year success fees, and we've been enjoying it. You're exactly right in that GF data is a huge help to firms like Cornerstone and others where we can get the strong information of what's actually happening out there and not something that may be four or five years old and we're saying, oh, I think we can reach that multiple. We really appreciate your service and what you do for the industry. When people ask us, especially from the business advisor, sell-side advisory role, and of course, with others involved, be it lenders, lawyers, or other people who advise middle market businesses, what is the main guts of why we should utilize GF data? It's really business owners don't have a good knowledge of what market is because they're private, small businesses. They think they're going to get the numbers just a little bit less than some of these public deal numbers or even some of the larger private equity numbers that are for 100, 500, $800 million businesses. And their two, five, eight million EBITDA company is quite different. And as an advisor, you don't want to be the one to call their baby ugly. You want to be able to say, this is what market is, and then figure out with your business sense and their knowledge of their industry you know, where that fits in and with very specific data on it by NAICS code, as well as quarter to quarter movements on uh, broader market issues. That's you know where people really appreciate what we're doing. You mentioned, Bob, that you do quarterly updates, and you also mentioned 2007 and eight, where we had some real challenges. 2020 has been a challenge as well, and quarter two, we would have been in the heat of the pandemic. What did you see from your perspective in quarter two on deals that were out there? Sure. Let me just give you a little background on what we had coming into that. We look at our numbers from 2018, 19, and the first quarter of 2020 before people recognized the, the COVID issue, we were seeing the highest multiples to date. And we break down the data 10 to 25 million, 25 to 50, 50 to 100. But we were seeing an average overall multiple in our space around 7.2 times adjusted EBITDA. And all the data that we provide, I should also point out, is closed deals by financial sponsors, no distressed or venture deals are all between three and 15 times multiples. We would see a very big size premium that we continue to see as of the last report in Q3, the average 10 to $25 million deal goes for 6.1 times adjusted EBITDA, 100 to 250, that average deal goes for 9.1 times. So there's a big difference. So we came in with a very strong market. Leverage was available. Leverage was inexpensive. People were not overly using leverage, but there was available for deals that they wanted to. You couldn't have asked for a better situation. Then what happened is Q2. So interesting, when we share our information on Q2, we look at three key points. Deal volume. The same group of private equity cohorts that reported 88 deals to us in Q1 reported 34 deals, roughly you know, 40%. The leverage used to get those businesses bought went on average from 3.9 times EBITDA to 3.3. Expected banks were tied up with PPP. They weren't lending money. But the surprise to many people was that the average valuation multiple stayed at that Q1 level of 7.4 times. And when we looked at 
all the deal sizes, they all stayed pretty much the same. And people are like, well, how can that be? Isn't COVID supposed to beat up multiples? Isn't the lack of leverage supposed to beat up multiples? And that's true. But we call that survivor bias. The deals that did get done were first very few. But more important, they were businesses that were COVID-friendly, COVID-proof. They strong quality businesses. The management meetings had occurred already. People are pretty much committed to getting those deals done. And the only thing that was in their way was the leverage. And, and they just figured out, we're going to get some more cash one way or the other, either from our own funds, and we'll refinance it later. So no surprise to us, but a surprise to many. The other thing that occurred is the deals that didn't get done. Obviously, some of them are not going to happen. The well-known trade show, travel, restaurant to some degree, some restaurants right. are working. They're not happening. That's no surprise. And so that's probably, I don't know, I'm going to guess at 20% of the deals that would have otherwise happened in our space. The second area was the good businesses, but still lost a lot of visibility on where they were going. They were tied up with PPP loans and other things. They went on pause and it'll be interesting. We'll talk about how will they come back and what will be affected there. But a lot of corporate buyers came into play. The deal, we saw a bigger mix of add-ons or synergistic strategic buyers than we had seen before. They had heavy cash sheet. If you're doing a synergistic deal in the industry. So those were getting done in Q2. But we just released Q3 numbers. I don't know. Are you interested in hearing what we oh, have to Oh, yes. Yeah, Bob, <laughs> let's go right into Q3. Those Q2 numbers are surprising. Like you said, the volume was down, but still the hold some of that value out there in EBITDA comps is fantastic. But yes, let's go right into quarter three, please. So quarter three, in addition to publishing our reports, I'm in a great position where I talk to every month, probably hundreds of private equity, investment bankers, deal professionals in the middle market. So I get what's below the data. We also host thought leader programs throughout the country where we get a lot of off-the-record feedback. So we saw valuation multiples ease off from an average 7.4 to a 6.7. We'll call it ease off, cool off. We're not saying they dropped. I mean, technically they dropped 7.4 to 6.7 is a big drop, but you know, we look at things as a rolling three, four quarter average. Deal volume is almost more important to us. And there's two sides to every deal. There's the leverage and equity that you have to be able to buy deals. That is the equity, the cash out there is still very strong. There's a lot of dry powder. There's more competition than ever. There's a scarcity factor because some deals are not available. And so the private equity groups are ready to buy. Um, the second part is the leverage providers, be it non-regulated lenders, the commercial banks, those groups are coming back. And that's really what drives middle market deals, the ability to get leverage to make these deals happen. So when we look at Q3, we see 50 deals compared to last year at this time. I think there was about, we were 80% of what we saw last year. And when we talk to private equity groups and ask about their pipeline, how many deals are they seeing? Same thing, 70, 80% of where they were this time last year. But the banks are open and they're willing to lend the senior debt there's two types of debts and all these, there's many types of debt, but essentially we break it down to senior debt and sub debt. The senior debt lenders are there, but they've pulled back a little bit on both their willingness to lend and how much they'll lend. Traditionally, you hear about the three by four model, three times EBITDA on average for senior debt and a turn of sub debt makes everybody 
relatively happy. We've been hearing from the bankers it's down to about 25275 what they're willing to lend. But we are seeing that capital stack filled in two ways, mostly with sub-debt and the sub-debt providers are out there in a good position. And then the other part that has been really interesting is the slight increases we're seeing in rollover equity. There's two ways to structure a deal if it's not just straight up we're paying for it. It's either rollover, you're going to go into NUCO as part owner because you believe that the business is scalable. Instead of taking $20 million per year of business, you're taking $15 million and $5 million is staying or whatever the right number is. And we have good data to benchmark that. I think it went up to 13 or 14% of the deal value uh, went to rollover this last during 2020. So that has increased. And that's a way to both fill in the equity stack, but more important, it gives a certainty to the buyers that, yes, you, the business owner currently, is willing and believes in that business going forward. The other way is earnouts, and that's the bridge to get the deal done. We track that every six months. It's part of our indemnification escrow basket key deal terms report. So we don't really have a strong update on how we're seeing that. Initially, when we talked to bankers, they felt there's going to be a ton more rollovers to bridge that unknown. The last two quarters, you didn't see such strong EBITDA. How do we know that's going to pick up going forward? It's not just a pandemic issue. What we're hearing now is it's not really increased as much as one would think. There's good visibility on the businesses, and it's really a matter of people understanding or guessing, will we be back to normal or somewhat similar to normal? Q1, Q2, Q3, Q4 next year, as far as overall business operations, because you know beyond the pandemic purchasing issues, you also had other aspects, logistics, being able to right. get materials, workers in and such. But we don't see earnouts yet having an absurd impact that we thought that would might be the case. But rollover is very interesting to see that has increased. Bob, we have some businesses that really the pandemic didn't hurt them, it may have helped them. And then on the other side, you mentioned bars and restaurants who have been just devastated because of close down. So it does make your job when you're trying to follow data that much more interesting because of those type of dynamics, right? Yeah, we capture very specific NAICS codes. And you got to realize private equity groups There is a bias in our data, which is these are financial sponsors, primarily private equity groups. There's some family offices and other sponsors, and they tend to buy top quartile niche industry leaders. So I was talking to one group that had a series of restaurants that had both an eat-in and take-out structure set up beforehand. And even though their overall revenue went down, their takeout structure allowed them to have better EBITDA. So it's very situational there, quarter-by-quarter tracking. Is more about what types of deals are getting done than, or what industries and what businesses than valuation multiples. Because within every industry, you're going to see specific companies that did increase their revenues because of COVID or their EBITDA because they had less expenses that they didn't recognize early that were probably growth related as opposed to operational. So, Bob, I'm going to ask you if you can look into your crystal ball as we head into quarter four here. Let's see, they're announcing it looks like shipping a COVID vaccine, which could be out to us shortly. We've just come through a really contested election that kind of ripped apart the country. But what do you see going forward here into the future for quarter four? 
quarter four and beyond, the market's not going to be back fully until probably Q2. When I say back fully, if a business owner wants true visibility, there's a lot of conjecture right now. Things are looking personally, the news I watch, the news you watch, things are on a positive trail. But the number one issue is lenders. The good news is they have visibility. They know what's happened to their portfolio. So now they can make their decisions on a go forward basis. And there's lots of debt out there to be had. So that's a real positive. Second is the business owner. We're hearing emotional things more than financial issues. You want to run a business that could be subject to another pandemic issue where you have to worry about your employees' health, your supply lines and such, as opposed to just making, manufacturing, designing great services and products. So that we hear a little bit uptick in people that are looking to move on. But a lot of advisors are saying, be patient. What you're going to give up trying to move quickly could be more expensive than you think. The tax situation, most people in the industry have a feel, I would say 90% secure that it's not going to be as disrupted as you might have thought in September. But those deals that people put forward in September when they're seeing the Biden strength and the blue wave possibility, the lawyers we speak to, they are jammed right now because so many of those deals that were brought forward, they're pedaled to the metal, as they would say. They want to get these done by end of the year, which will be, you know, for the health of the private equity markets, the investment banks. Good to see. I hear a lot of investment banks tell us they're having their best year ever. Certainly some of the MES groups and some of the private equity. So I'm fairly I'm bullish, positive, but that's prognostication as opposed to being able to say, yes, it will be better. But <laughs> Bob, thank you so much for giving us an update and also introducing us to GF Data. To our listeners, we've been visiting with Bob Wegbright, the partner at GF Data. Bob, we're hoping that we can have you on the podcast to talk to us about quarterly activity moving forward into 21. I appreciate your time and thank you all for listening. And if you need more information on GF Data, go to our website, gfdata.com. My name and contact is all over the place and we'd be glad to help you out. Thanks again, Bob. Have yourself a happy holiday. Thank you. Take care. Thank you for tuning in to the M&A Cornercast. Hopefully we gave you some insight into the world of mergers and acquisitions. We'll see you back again next Thursday with a brand new episode. 